Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining today's webinar, PR in a Polarized, Politicized World. Uh, my name is Michael Gordon. Uh, I'm a principal at uh, Group Gordon in New York, and we're very lucky to have Paul Holmes uh, with us today. I'm, I'm just going to talk uh, very briefly uh, about the topic and about our firm, introduce Paul, who's, who's going to talk for a couple minutes. Then we're going to do some, some, some Q&A, and we'd like you to participate in the Q&A as well. So we, we appreciate your participating. Um, so first, uh, one of the things I love about our business is that uh, new challenges uh, come to us frequently. Every couple of years, there's something changing that dramatically changes our business. And what we've seen in the last couple of years is how politics has uh, infiltrated all aspects of our lives. And in particular, businesses who used to be under the radar very easily um, uh, now are finding themselves in the middle of political fray and it's affecting their businesses. It's also affecting their culture and their employees and it's affecting how they conduct business. So we thought we'd uh, open that up and, and talk about that today. Um, just a, a little bit about Group Gordon. So uh, we are a higher end uh, communications firm. Uh, we like to think of ourselves that way and that we uh, take the time up front to understand why we're getting engaged so that we're very disciplined and precise and, and targeted in our communications. Um, we're, uh, our written work product is very high, our, um, and we're very aggressive in terms of uh, media relations, but, but aggressive uh, in, in, in the right directions and in targeted ways. And our practice is very diverse, a lot of professional services companies, law firms, a wide range of uh, consulting firms, uh, financial technology, a lot of nonprofits in, in education and other spheres, and, um, uh, and we do our share of crises too. So uh, we're very lucky to have uh, Paul Holmes uh, with us today. Uh, I've been following Paul for, for roughly 20 years, I, I want to say. Um, he is, in my view, the premier thought leader uh, in our industry and, and the founder of the Homes Group, which uh, is, is sort of the premier organization that, that uh, uh, leads our industry. And uh, we were lucky to have him join us today. And uh, Paul, any sort of uh, opening thoughts uh, on this topic? Yeah, um, at, the risk of, at the risk of being uh, uh, an impolite guest, um, I'm going to push back a little bit on the novelty of, of this issue because I think that um, there's been an intersection of the corporate world and the political world for almost as long as I've been doing this. Uh, what of the advantages or, or perhaps disadvantages of having a 30-year history writing about and thinking about PR is that um, everything everything old becomes new again sooner or later. When, when I, uh, I arrived in the United States in 1987, and I think it was about three years later in 1990, I wrote a story about um, Dayton Hudson um, embroiled in a controversy over its donations to Planned Parenthood. Um, that became a huge political debate. Dayton Hudson handled it despite being pretty smart about public relations in those days. Um, I think quite badly they, um, they, they first of all withdrew their funding when it became a controversy. Then when the withdrawal became a controversy, they reinstated their funding and they just went back and forth um, over, the, over the course of about a six month period, um, apparently clueless about what their own position should be and therefore being buffeted by the tides of public opinion and the loudest voices in the room. And then a couple of years later, we had a similar incident with Levi Strauss cutting off its funding for the Boy Scouts after the Boy Scouts decided um, that, that they wouldn't allow um, gays or atheists 
and um, the contrast there was really quite stark because Levi Strauss clearly knew what its own position was, what its own values were. And that was one of the first lessons on this for me is that you have to go into these political debates with a thorough understanding of who you are and what you stand for. Um, and then the second sort of historical lesson that that I, I learned was, um, I think it was around 2000, um, the, the fashion brand Benetton ran a series of ads about political, about um, prisoners on death row and was accused of glorifying killers, essentially. Um, Benetton took a very firm stand and said, this is, you know, this is an important issue that we want to bring to the forefront. Um, Sears, which carried Benetton, um, decided that it would um, discontinue the brand. And I remember getting a call from somebody, I think at CNBC, asking me which company had done the right thing and, um, and telling them that both had. Um, Benetton was true to its brand, which involved courting controversy and taking a position. Um, Sears was true to its brand, which was essentially avoiding pol politics and controversy at all costs. And I, that was really the second lesson I drew about this. Again, it's a variation on the first, but you know, it's it's there's no right or wrong as much as there is a determination to stand for what you stand for. Um, I think the thing that has changed, however, is that um, on a lot of the issues we're seeing today, um, neutrality is not an option. Um, Levi's and Benetton got into the controversy they did rather deliberately by taking the actions that they did to provoke a, a, a reaction. Um, today, there's, there's no neutral ground. Um, on a lot of these issues. If you're not for change, you're for the status quo. And that's making life difficult for a lot of companies that don't perhaps have the comfort level that a Benetton or a Levi's does. Um, the good news, and I'll, I'll stop with this thought, the good news is that um, consumers apparently are willing to reward companies that do know what they stand for and are willing to take a stand. Um, we just held our Provoke 18 conference in Washington, DC, and uh, Harris Poll was one of the presenters. And the, the, one of the interesting things about their sort of most admired reputation quotient rankings is that Chick-fil-A, which is probably the company most sort of associated with right-wing politics in America, certainly with evangelical issues in America, and Patagonia, um, which has taken um, a very sort of visible stand on environmental issues, and is actually now endorsing candidates based on environmental issues, are both in the top 10 um, sort of most admired companies by consumers. Um, suggests to me that these days consumers like, and, and of course we've just seen Nike um, take a take a very visible political position on Black Lives Matter and um, Colin Kaepernick, and um, and get rewarded for that. Companies that do have the courage of their convictions 
um, have the opportunity to really benefit. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think that uh, we're also seeing companies being uh, brought into the fray um, against, against their own will, if you will. And so uh, they need to be more prepared for that and also uh, be ready to act nimble. So uh, let me ask a question. Uh, do you see uh, the evolution of this issue? Do you see it as a no-win situation for brands? Oh, not at all. Um, I just think I, I just think suddenly um, you have to actually live the values that you espouse in a way that may end up making you uncomfortable, um, but ultimately. Um, has the potential to cement and strengthen your relationship with um, employees, consumers, communities um, in, in important ways. Um, you know, I think, though, again, those companies that have gotten out in front of these issues and made it really clear what they stand for. Um, you know, if one of your values is diversity and inclusion, for example, um, the decisions around some of these issues should be fairly simple. Um, I, we had as a, a speaker at our conference uh, recently, um, PayPal, which was um, a company that got out of North Carolina at some expense um, very quickly after the uh, North Carolina passed the bathroom ban the, affecting transgender people. And um, you know, they they were quite comfortable with that decision. It, it was something that everybody at the company agreed was the right thing to do. Um, and I think it reinforced the idea that, you know, those values are real. I don't think that's a downside at all. So um, let me ask, you can no longer please everyone then, is that fair to say? Uh, yeah. Um, so how do you plan accordingly? So, look, I think there are I think that there are sort of two views about public relations and what public relations should be about, and I and I, I don't necessarily want to present this as a uh, as as a sort of um, blunt choice between one or the other. Um, there's probably a continuum, right? But I think a lot of people in our business think that public relations is a popularity contest, that public relations is about trying to make everybody like you all the time. And the more people you can get to like you, um, or maybe, you know, as a, a corollary to that, the fewer people you can get to dislike you, um, the better you're doing your job. Um, I think there's another view of our business that says that the real role of uh, you know the real role of public relations and the way you build relationships is by knowing what you stand for and then acting as if you really do stand for it understanding the values that underpin your business and then living those values and that will inevitably deepen and strengthen your relationship with people who share those values and yes it may end up alienating people who don't share the, those those values. Um, but all that means is that you have to know, um, you know, you have to be sure that your values align with those of your employees and your and, and your consumers and other stakeholders. 
Um, and I think, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just keep using the word values over and over again, like a hammer that I'm hitting a nail with. But, um, you know, I really do think a lot of this comes down to what are our values? What do we believe as an organization? Um, what's the right thing for us to do? And then doing, doing that. Um, and yes, it's incumbent upon you to think about those things before you're thrust into the political arena. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't actually think the process is that tricky. Right. So um, let's say you have politically active, a politically active CEO or politically active uh, executives at the company. What can the communications team do to prepare for that? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to sort of talking about these issues in the right way. So, you know, I think um, I, I suspect based on based on the fact that I've been writing about this um, fairly intensively for the last couple of years, um, most people will have a sense of what my own political views are and where I stand on the current administration. Um, spoiler alert, not a fan. Um, and look, I think, but I think at the same time, sort of personal political attacks and, and framing this as criticism of a particular politician or um, a particular party is not helpful. But talking about it in terms of um, general principles and what the company believes, um, I think is fine. And so you have people like um, uh, Mark Benioff at Salesforce talking about the homeless problem in California in a way that, and San Francisco in particular, in a way that makes it clear that he thinks um, San Francisco's largest corporate citizens should be part of the solution. Um, you have Tim Cook talking about um, Apple's values um, around diversity and inclusion um, and making it clear that they are driving the company's stand on issues ranging from um, LGBTQ um, all, all the way through to immigration. Um, I think just helping them frame the message in a way that makes it about um, values and inclusion rather than about personal or party politics um, is something that, that corporate communicators can help with. So, uh, by the way, uh, people are submitting questions. I'll just uh, uh, continue along and, and, and read those questions uh, to Paul and answer them. So, um, uh, what if there is a difference in terms of uh, what a company's business goals uh, uh, are versus what the internal stakeholders uh, want or their views? How should a company thread that needle? Well, I think there are um, there are a couple of issues. First of all, if if your values are totally misaligned with those of your stakeholders internally or externally, um, it it probably requires um, an adjustment one way or the other. I, 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 I've always suggested that the role of public relations people is, is works two ways. Um, it's either persuading external stakeholders to your, or external and internal stakeholders to your point of view, 
um, or it's persuading management that they need to change their point of view. Um, but I think that um, I think that one way or the other, you need to obviously understand what it is your stakeholders care about, where they stand on issues, um, and then you know try try to be as aligned as you can within the confines of conscience. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of um, Chick Fil A and um, the, the the positions they take. But I think that they are—they really understand what it is that their consumers want them to do, and they've done a great job of doing that. And I think—I think again, there are a lot of people out there who appreciate a principled position, even if they disagree with it. Um, and you know, there there are there are politicians who come from a place of genuine conviction, and then there are politicians who come from a place of cynicism. And um, it's much easier, I think, to appreciate those who have a genuine conviction. Um, so again, um, understand where your stakeholders um, sit on any particular po political spectrum. Um, but at the same time, um, don't be afraid to take a position that is, you know, based on, on genuine principle. Right. I, I feel like if uh, people explain their position um, and, and how they came to it, I feel uh, many consumers will view that they've been heard or respected and that helped uh, a company in those situations. And, and by the way, I think it's very easy to overreact to um, what is actually a very loud but not very sort of significant number of people, particularly, um, you know, given the, the rise of digital and social media. So the first, you know, the first couple of days after, um, after Nike announced its new ad campaign, the news cycle was dominated by sort of online images of people buying that, burning their, their Nike sneakers and um, sort of generally objecting to the company taking a position. But Within a week, um, the stock price was soaring. It was clear that the, the, the move had paid off in marketing terms. It was very true to the Nike brand, which has always been about defiance and challenging and standing up for your rights and individualism and all, all the things that were, that were being celebrated there. And, um, you know, I, 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 think, I think having having the courage to, um, to, to stick with a position under fire while you, while you figure out just sort of how it's going to play out, not, not necessarily in the first 24 hours, but after a week or two, um, is critically important too. And, and again, the CCO needs to understand sort of how issues like that evolve and, and the way in which the initial reaction is not necessarily the ultimate reaction. Um, and be a calming influence um, inside the company. Because I'm sure at Nike, there were people who were freaking out on day one about whether that was going to backfire and um, who seven days later were feeling much calmer about it. Um, you know, that, that, that sort of wisdom and experience is something that good CCOs bring into the, the boardroom or the C-suite. Um, to make sure that a company has the courage of its convictions. 
Sure. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes, uh, you know, in, in the blogosphere or in social media, really the people who are penning something are really just talking to themselves and, and a small group. And you really want yeah. to wait to see if something has legs uh, before you react to it. Um, yeah. You know, it depends on the source, depends on the issue, depends on the company, uh, of course. But um, a, a lot of times they're just talking to themselves. Um, how do you compare, in terms of the, 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 the preparation, how do you compare and think about uh, a political crisis versus other kinds of crises? How should companies be thinking about the differences? Um, I think you have to be aware that um, in, in the political realm, there are individuals out there who are um, willing and able to drive the agenda um, in ways that perhaps you can't. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen a number of examples of the current administration singling out companies, um, you know, be, being critical of individual, individual companies um, for either political positions or, 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 you know, social positions. And um, you have to be prepared to, to weather that storm. And again, in a way, this is just like dealing with consumer activists. Um, you do have to follow as a company, I think, that, um, that, that, that famous Michelle Obama line about when they go high, um, when they go low, we go high, right? I don't, I don't think you can sort of get down in the mud and scrap with politicians without tarnishing your reputation, um, which is why, again, I come back to this issue of values. You know, you put everything in, in, in the framework of, you know, what it is that your organization believes in. Um, and, but, um, but other than, other than that, you know, I, I think, um, I think there's an understanding that and an expectation that companies will get involved in big social issues. But we're living in a world where, you know, the, the, the largest corporations in the world, the Amazons and the Googles and, and so on, um, are bigger than the vast majority of nation states. They have more economic um, and social influence than the governments of most countries. Um, for them not to be involved in these issues would be much more surprising, I think, than what we're seeing right now, um, which is the expectation that they will do something, whether it's, um, whether it's furthering, um, you know, the, the rights of the homeless in San Francisco or LGBTQ rights in, in North Carolina, um, whether it's immigration and, and, and other issues in which they actually have a, an economic stake. Um, I think it's, I, I think we've reached a point where, you know, it's no longer, it should no longer come as a surprise to anybody that they are expected to, to take a position and not, not just sort of, you know, pay lip service to a position, but take action. That's great. Uh, again, I'm just going to read questions as they come in. So, um, what about B2B companies? So they don't feel as much pressure from consumers. Um, should they take a more value values-based approach, and if so, if so, how and why? Well, um, so I am um, 
I am first, first and foremost a proponent of this idea that you know values matter and that all companies should have them. Um, it's not just about consumers; it's also about employees. Um, and um, and and so you know, I'm I'm not sure that I I think the rules are entirely different from a B two B company. I also think, frankly, that more and more um, consumer activists and other campaigns are looking at um, not just what what an individual business does, um, but looking at supply chain issues. And if you're part of the supply chain, um, you have to be ready um, for your behavior to become a problem for the companies that you're supplying. So um, that there are always there are always going to be issues like that. Do I think the rules are different? I mean, I think I think it's it's probably easier to lie low as a, um, a, a as a B2B company um, but I'm not but I'm I'm not sure it's wise because I think sooner or later um, the spotlight shows up everywhere we're living in an incredibly transparent age right we're living in an age where you, you should I think just in general conduct yourself as if everything you say and everything you do maybe even everything you think um, is sooner or later going to end up on the front page of, if not the New York Times or, you know, CNN, um, a business news program or, um, or a trade magazine. Um, and so not to have thought these issues through, um, I think, is, is, is fairly negligent, regardless of which, which sector you're in. Sure. Um Another question that came in is in the nonprofit sector. So we've seen this with our nonprofit clients where they are less comfortable taking political positions um, because it may affect their funding, it may affect their tax status, it may affect their fundraising abilities. So, um, but if it's clearly consistent with the organization's mission, how do communications and other executives, uh, uh, nonprofits, get board members and others comfortable? So again, I, it, I would I would say that it sort of depends on a couple of things um, beyond what we've already talked about. The the first is how how close your particular um, cause is to the political debate. Um, you know, if, if if you're a champion of immigrants' rights, for example, um, I don't I don't really see how you can avoid um, wading into the the political arena, um, and 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 in a quite partisan way right now. I mean, I think again, you bring it down to um, to, to to values and mission and purpose. Um, but um, but I but but I I think if you're if you're involved in an issue that is that is polarized politically already, acknowledging that reality is not a bad thing to do. Um, it, it's 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 pretty much inevitable. For companies who are for, for nonprofits rather who are um, either less singular in their focus um, or um, have a lower appetite for risk. Then I think it just comes down to deciding what what your appetite for risk is. I mean, the advantages to wading into a political issue 
uh, that it raises your visibility, it brings you to the attention of um, people who might not otherwise um, be donors. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen in, in some of the crowdfunding campaigns that have sprung up, not necessarily for nonprofits, but for some of the individuals involved in political issues. Um, whether you're somebody in, in, you know, sort of the Midwest who doesn't want to bake cakes for gay weddings, um, or whether you're somebody who accuses a nominee for the Supreme Court of, um, uh, of, of sort of uh, inappropriate sexual behavior. Um, personal crowdfunding um, generally reaches into six and seven figures um, for those people. And um, so it's clear that there are a number of donors out there who are prepared to give uh, money to people who take political positions that they agree with. Um, again, to a certain extent, this is going to depend on sort of the mission of your charity, the, the profile of your donor base um, and your appetite for risk. So I want to tread on that last point. Actually, we got a question that sort of tre tre trends, treads on that as well. But so, um, you know, in, in the current environment, how do uh, uh, companies, organizations find new audiences, reach new audiences, and also um, change perhaps what are common perceptions or misperceptions uh, of what they do? Um, wow, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> So we'll do a separate webinar on that, but your top thoughts. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the topic that we're talking about, um, you know, I think I, I actually think there's a there's a really interesting role for corporations in particular to play, um, because I think that um, I think that they can make um, a principled case without it becoming uh, sort of political, um, obviously we're in a, we're in a hyper-partisan era, um, where a lot of groups are talking past each other, um, or yelling at each other, but, you know, very few minds are getting changed. I actually think corporations are in a useful space in that they're not generally dogmatic about this stuff. They're generally pragmatic about this stuff. Um, they're generally, um, you know, they, they generally have fairly reasoned positions. And I think making those positions clear, um, you know, in a, in a way that, um, in a way that isn't, again, sort of personally or party political, um, gives them an opportunity to talk about these things in a third way, right? Not from left or right, but, but from a position of pragmatism. Um, and I think that that's incredibly useful and it gives them permission to connect with people who disagree with them, um, perhaps in, in ways that hyperpartisan um, hacks on either side can't. Um, obviously, um, again, depending on sort of your, your appetite for this kind of thing, um, using all of the channels available to you is is smart and engaging with people in social media is smart um, and um, you know sort of uh, mainstream media traditional press relations is extremely useful um, e even paid advertising um, 
can be can be helpful just to explain the company's position. Um, I use all the channels that are available to you, I guess. Great, thank you. And yeah, that, that one was a, a pretty large question. Um, th this will be our last question that we have time for. Um, what is um, what are some pitfalls um, that that companies can make in these situations? You know, what is taking it too far in this situation? I think I think anything that makes it look like you're taking it personally, um, anything that that makes it look I, so. I should draw a distinction here, right? So I think. Um, you know, Tim Cook talking about his personal experience in the context of um, LGBTQ issues is fine. I think um, making making something sort of personal and, um, and and getting angry about it is is profoundly unhelpful. Um, and so, you know, there's there's a question of tone and um, a question of um, a, a question of also um, buy in from the rest of the senior leadership team. That's very important. Um, you know, it, it's been very interesting, for example, to watch the debate um, at Google over the last year or so about whether the culture there is um, sort of actively unfriendly to people who are not liberal in their politics. Um, and obviously there's a very fine sort of balancing act to be, to be handled there. You don't want, if, if you're creating, um, if you're creating an atmosphere of inclusion and diversity, and you're talking about tolerance as one of your key principles, um, then to create an atmosphere that actually is um, politically or socially quite homogenous, that um, doesn't include diversity of opinion, um, is a little contradictory. And you need to therefore make sure, I think, that while you're taking these positions, um, you're not doing so in a way that demonizes um, people who don't necessarily agree with you. Um, that is, um, that, that, that encourages, um, to a certain extent, um, dissent and debate, um, rather than, uh, rather than sort of making people feel, um, uncomfortable in the workplace because they don't share your views. Um, and that can obviously be a fairly fine line to tread and it's going to vary from organization to organization. Um, but, um, you know, what, one of the things that public relations people, I think, do do really well is making sure that management uh, is aware of opposing and dissenting viewpoints inside and outside the company. And we do this all the time, listening to activists and bringing their point of view into the C-suite and explaining to companies, um, you know, why people may disagree with their positions or their, their policies and, and their, even their products. So, um, you know, I, I think that, um, I think that the key qualities that make a great public relations person are the qualities that are most needed in this environment. And I, I, I've talked about this before, but, um, you know, I think there are, I think that there are four 
things that every great communicator needs. Um, curiosity, the, the desire to keep learning about both issues and people. Um, courage, the, um, the, the ability to, to sort of advocate for unpopular positions inside and outside the company. Empathy, the ability to understand how other people feel and why they feel that way. Um, and integrity, um, you know, making sure that you are honest and intellectually honest in all of your positions. And if you bring all of those four qualities to the table, um, whether it's whether it's an ordinary crisis, a political crisis, or just day-to-day -day reputation management, um, then you'll be fulfilling a very important role and, and deserve the seat at the table that, that we've all talked about. Uh, that's a great note to end on. So, uh, Paul, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank uh, you, Michael. Uh, thank you, everybody, for participating and for your questions. And um, uh, we appreciate everyone's uh, time and thoughtfulness. Yeah, that sort of flew by. I didn't realize. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize we'd run out of time already. Yes. Uh, thank you all. Thanks.